All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin, Paul Inger Jr., and Jay Morrison of The Athletic here with you as always. Jay, how are we doing? Itchy. Day 18 of no shaving. Oh, no. Itchy. <laughs> Look, it's all disappointing. Like We can talk however long you want to about being itchy and not shaving. If it doesn't result in, in the attempt to grow back the mullet, I honestly don't really care. This is what this is about. always going to be about for me. Well, my barber got shut down too, so who knows? If this goes on long enough, maybe the mullet will come back. There we go. That's all you need. Look, in these dark times, Jay, we just need a little ray of sunshine every day to help us get through. And thank you for providing that for me with hope, even as faint as it might be, that the mullet could return. That's what, that's what we all want. What Tyler Eifert left a glaring hole, so there's an he opening. He did. He did. Um, we will get into that um, as well. I'm trying, you know, I anymore with the Bengals, it's hard to keep up. It's like you, there were probably a couple different uh, emergency pods we could have done over the course of the last week, but instead we just sort of uh, got a lot to get to. You mentioned Tyler Eifert uh, signing with Jacksonville. I, I forget that has happened recently too it's, you, because you have Von Bell, the Von Bell signing uh, from New Orleans. He shows up as the starting safety uh, on Tuesday. Draker, the Draker Patrick release we've been telling you about for three months came to be. Um, the potential problems that Von Bell's arrival could have meant for Sean Williams. Uh, we'll get into all of that. What happens next there at safety? Uh, Jay, you've got stats. Yes, yeah, some Draker Patrick stats. Everybody's favorite thing. Everybody, there, there are plenty of stats out there. Um, and then I wanna, I want us to take a look now. I feel like things have settled down on the defensive side of the ball. I want us to try to take a look at the, our shot at a 25 man defensive roster. Who that is, who that looks like at this point to just kind of run through it to update for everybody as the, the wheels are starting to slow down in that regard. But there's a lot to get to. So let's start with the biggest move. I think I might call this outside of spending all that money on DJ Reader. I, and maybe even more so, this might be the most surprising move for me that the Bengals made all offseason. And that was going going out uh, for Von Bell on the, the three-year $18 million deal. Um, it's a decent team structure where, you know, there's some, uh, a pretty easy out after two seasons. Um, s- but still, a- an aggressive play when you thought they might be done in free agency. Sort of, I, I would maybe even seem like a, they, a finding of money a little bit, uh, to, to make this happen and went out and did make it happen and got Von Bell. So I think fed a little bit off of. Some of the waves they created in the beginning of free agency uh, of reworking this defense and the absolute utter gutting <laughs> of this yeah. secondary and defense as a whole continues. Um, I, I would argue most surprising move uh, of of their offseason was was giving Von Bell this contract. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, not not just the move itself, but the timing of it and coming so late after they'd made all those other moves, you did kind of think that they were done, at least in terms of, of, of splash moves, but that, that, that one certainly qualifies as a splash move. And I just, I don't know. We, we talked about them targeting all three levels of the defense, but I, I just didn't see a safety being a, as big of a priority. You thought cornerback and they, and they did, they made the moves at cornerback. They, they signed three cornerbacks before they, they did the Von Bell move at safety. Um, but yeah, that, that one really caught me by surprise. And that one, you, you're right. That one probably could have warranted a, an emergency podcast, but we were both, people had asked about it on Twitter and we were both working on, on stories at the time and uh, just kind of let people know they, they'd have to wait until today. No emergency pro- podcast last Thursday. Yeah. No, I mean, it was funny when, when, the Von Bell move happened, I guess, a little behind the curtain. I'm already writing from the Q&A on Monday. <laughs> I had gotten questions 
from a lot of people, a, more questions than I anticipated about Sean Williams possibly playing linebacker. And it's something that we had talked about a little bit on the podcast and I'd written about here and there, but I'd never really focused fully on that concept in talking to people inside the organization. And so I was working on that a little bit during the week and had finally kind of gotten to the point where I was ready to write it and started to write it. And then they signed Von Bell. And <laughs> I thought, well, wait, is Sean even going to be around for this to be a conversation piece? And did the idea of him playing linebacker just become the question that defines whether he stays or goes? And it did. I mean, I think in a lot of ways it does. Um, the, because look, Von Bell, it's important to, for, for fans to know what you're getting in Von Bell in comparison to Sean Williams. The problem is Sean Williams misses a ton of tackles. And for all Sean is as a leader, uh, as a guy who's been a starting level safety in this league for a while, um, you know, a guy who knows how to get everybody in the right spots and can make the calls and do all those things, he, he can make some plays, but he also was a liability trying, you know, trying to play up in the box as a box safety. Last four seasons, uh, my, my, one of my favorite defensive stats or PFF is, is a stop. That is a tackle for an offensive failure. It's making a play. I don't want to hear about tackles when you tackle somebody 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage and hop on the pile, right? Give me a real made a play, right? Williams had 66 of those. And missed 59 tackles. Hmm. Basically a one-to-one ratio. Von Bell, over the same period, 107 stops and just 33 missed tackles. That's a better than three-to-one ratio on that. And he's three years younger than Sean Williams. He's 25 years old. This is his first contract. This is a massive upgrade at safety, is my point. Yeah, and the thing, the thing about Sean and those missed tackles, it's not, it's not that he lacks physicality. Uh, it seems like he has a, a problem with angles. So many of his missed tackles came from taking poor angles and, and not not getting to where he needed to be to make the tackle. And that's why I kind of thought maybe, you know, will you see him coming up, even though he did play most of his snaps in the box um, as opposed to, you know, a, a too high safety look, it, it just seems like he would be better suited to, to line up at linebacker and take away – some of that space and therefore some of those angles. But you had mentioned it in, in your piece too that he, he just doesn't have the size to be a guy that's going to slam up in there and fit against it's again, take on these 300 pound guards. Um, it, they're really going to have to be creative with how they use him if that is their plan to, you know, make him more of a linebacker and keep him on the field with Von Bell being the safety that starts next to Jesse Bates. And they're in. Therein, I think, lies a bit of the problem here. I, you know, I don't, if they have the money and, and, and they feel like it's not a financial strain to finish off the last year of Williams's contract, which he's, he's making 4.8 million. Um, it would cost them only 400k to drop him. So you're saying you're saving. It's basically a, it's basically a free release. I mean, that's almost nothing. You're saving 4.4 on the cap. And, you know, you're about to go up against a time where you're trying to get extensions done potentially uh for Joe Mixon and AJ Green. Um at least having those conversations. And that money could be used in certain places. Um, or going back out on the free agent market. We'll see what's left, you know, and, and maybe you want to, you want to add, I think there's a, a, you know, a possibility to, to add a little depth at edge. Um, you know, they got three guys right now that I see, depending on how you view Andrew Brown. Um, you know, you got Carl, Carlos Dunlap and Sam Hubbard and Carl Lawson. Um, you'd probably like to have a little more depth there. Uh, my, the bottom line is though, I mean, there's ways you can use that money. How, what are you using? How are you going to use Sean Williams? I mean, how much linebacker can he, what position can he play? Do you want him at, to be a third linebacker, like covering the slot? You, you want, you want him to be on a, on a tight end? You know, or really, I mean, he's a, a really nice third safety, really nice third safety, starting caliber 
third safety, and a guy who's going to play in the dime package. I mean, where you're where he's covering a running back out there as a as sort of a dime linebacker. You know, I just don't I don't know how much how much they'll really be able to get him on the field. Now you say that, and then Von Bell or Jesse Bates gets hurt in the first week of preseason. And that's why you want that kind of depth, and you pay for that depth. But that's a that's a hefty price to pay for for depth on the back end. It is, and it's it's a hefty price to pay for character too, because I think that that probably played into this as much as anything, because Zach has preached it since he got here, and and Sean is a guy that that does everything you want him to do. I mean, you you the article that you wrote from the Baltimore game last year, just about everything he played through. I mean, he, he never said a word. He was, he was a leader. He was captain. Um, that is a kind of guy that, that you want when you're, you're building a, a young roster, but ugh, it's a, it's an expensive piece. Um, I, I guess they just figured you, you can't get rid of both of them. Um, him and Drake Kirkpatrick, that would have been, you, you figure those two and then Andy, Dalton at some point too. That's a lot of money uh, that that frees up for those extensions. But I don't know. I, I just I don't know if if Sean's. You look at it. You take the money part of it aside. He, he has great value because of the depth and because of his character. But it, how much of that is worth it when you when you talk about the contract? Yeah, and and you know he's a he was a captain, but how hard? I mean. The challenge, he, he doesn't play, really play special teams. Um, whereas, you know, kind of the spot he's moving into is one occupied. Well, Brandon Wilson will still be here, but Clayton Fedulum, really massive special teams contributors. Um, a spot where you expect that to be a huge special teams contributor. And it's challenging to be a leader and captain when you're now a backup safety. Mm-hmm. Like, a, you know, a little bit of your, Leadership and, you know, I mean, the guy who was getting everybody in the right places doing all that stuff, that's, is, is, is kind of cut out from underneath you a little bit when, and and you're part of this old guard now where you've got this whole new school of defense where you've got six new starters out of 11. You know, there's this out with the old kind of thing where who's, where's his pull? Where, you know, he hasn't gone to battle with these guys. Um, so not that he can't still be a leader, certainly not, but um, it's it's kind of an interesting predicament. It's 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 a really odd thing. Here's the thing that I I would say, you know, you if that's if holding on to Sean Williams. Now, granted, I don't know that they saw this coming. I, I don't. I'm not under the impression that they were out there targeting a second wave Von Bell. I think they got to the second wave and were thinking, what the hell is Von Bell still doing out there? Hmm. Because they really liked him. And, you know, we could we could talk more to uh Cat Terrell uh in New Orleans about how this happened and you did in, in your piece where you talked to all the uh athletic beat writers that covered the eight different free agents that have signed with the Bengals this year. If you want to read that piece, go to the site now. Um of course, we've got our 90-day free trial. If you are not a subscriber, you can hop on for free. Take the long extended test drive uh, or subscribe, um, or hopefully you are a subscriber. But either way, you, you can go read that piece now, and Kat talks a little bit about this. But, you know, they go with Malcolm Jenkins and move on from Von Bell, where, you know, Malcolm Jenkins, Jenkins older guy. Von Bell played very well for them. It really felt a little bit, and, and Kat sort of suggested this as – Von Bell and his camp may be overvaluing what he thought he could get. And then all of a sudden somebody pulls the okie doke on you and you're kind of out there when you didn't expect to be. And I think that's the way the Bengals looked at it as their gain a little bit is like, okay, we'll make a real run at this because like I pointed out earlier, particularly when you talk about run game stats, such a significant upgrade. Um, I, it's just, a, that's a really interesting development of how that even happened. Yeah. You, you talked about that story, uh, Read, if you guys want to read it, read it alone for Arif Hassan's, uh, assessments of the two Vikings cornerbacks. I mean, it's just, he, he was great. Um, everybody that I reached out to said, sure, I'll help you. And they, they put their stuff together, but, but Arif was, was so in depth. And I even, when I mentioned to him, he said, oh yeah, I, uh, I write up a, a strength and weakness on every player on the roster every year. I just need to update 
um, a, a little bit. So he had this, this whole working knowledge of, of watching it, but then he had it on paper too. I just, I thought his contributions to the article, I was, I'm appreciative of everybody, all, all the beat writers that, that gave me stuff, but, but Arif's stuff was really good on Trey Waynes and Mackenzie McKin- Alexander. Yeah. We mentioned this last week. Um, and that was, you know, clearly this team, this is before Von Bell, this team being like, we're going to stop the run. Okay. <laughs> we are not going to get destroyed, uh, with people just slamming it down our throats again, which is what has happened the last however many years. They added truly elite run stoppers at every level. I mean, and I say elite around Josh Bynes. I mean, that's what Josh Bynes does best um, at the linebacker spot. I mean, he's, he's primarily a first, second down run stopping linebacker who's kind of a culture guy. DJ Reader, Von Bell at the back end. I mean, really, really does that well. And then the corners are a huge upgrade in stopping the run, obviously from Dre. Um, but both those guys have excelled. I mean, that's, that's a lot of additions that excel at, a, at their biggest weakness and potentially could turn that into a strength of this defense. So we, I know we touched on that before, but the Von Bell thing even puts a bigger exclamation point on that transformation. Yeah. And then it feels like that, that's going to improve and then. I, I start wondering if we're the, the piece that we're harping on that the big weakness this year on that defense is going to be ball skills by the corners because that was one thing Arif mentioned was where both Trey and McKenzie lacked and, and we've seen it from William Jackson too where does everything right but for whatever reason cannot seem to find the ball and make a play on the ball when it's in the air and you, you think that would be a basic skill for a, for a cornerback, but some of these guys are so athletic, they, they kind of rely on, on that being able to make up from mistakes and the makeup speed and that type of thing. And, um, that, that was one area where Darius Phillips really excelled and why he got those, all those picks at the end of the year was because he did have the ball skills. So I think that you're going to see the run defense really improve this year. And then maybe that is the, the new, area that everybody's harping on is is these cornerbacks being able to track the ball in the air. I mean, it can't get much worse than getting no picks <laughs> in a seat. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you can't – I mean, the, the run of Bengals cornerbacks intercepting the ball over the last couple of years, there's almost – I mean, there's pretty much nowhere to go but up, um, you know, outside of – you mentioned Darius Phillips. And I'll be really curious to see what kind of a role he can find to carve out for himself next year. Uh, also not mentioned, they also signed LaShawn Sims. Um, who is sort of a depth, uh, corner. He's like a fourth, fifth corner in Tennessee. Um, who had, coming into his first, again, younger. This is his first, his first jaunt out into free agency. I think, you know, you're, you're comfortable with LaShawn Sims as your fifth corner. I mean, a guy who's sort of in his prime years and has had played well at times and, and been a, a contributor on some good teams. Um, you know, you just you start adding all this up, what has happened to this defense? I mean, you talk about eight guys signed, seven defenders, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, who I would anticipate all will make the team. I mean, it is a it is a clear, calculated, total transformation. You know, we we thought it would come. We were told it would come, um, but I think it has come in even stronger than maybe we, than even they anticipated because of some some opportunities they were able to take advantage of. Yeah, the uh, the only one I might question would be Sims. Is if you know if he is a guy that makes the fifty three. Um, they, they signed they resigned Greg Maven today. They brought back everybody's favorite. Who is that? Tory McTire. Uh, you still have the, the Canadian import, Winston Rose. I mean, there, there's suddenly Tony that Tony Brown too. Yeah. I mean, suddenly that cornerback room is, is deep and uh, certainly better talent wise. So yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know where having not really paid much attention to LaShawn Sims, um, in his days at Tennessee, it's, it'll be, Interesting to see how that plays out, or maybe we don't see it at all. You don't see OTAs. You, you, we yeah. wait till training camp to, to see that, that battle happen. But he would be the only one that I would even consider, you know, kind of a question mark of, of those seven defenders, uh, 
the new guys that would make the 53. Seven, I, I, we talked about now seven corners, two of mm-hmm. which were on this team last year, all out there going to be competing between Trey Waynes, William Jackson the third, uh, Mackenzie Alexander your third, Darius Phillips, LaShawn Sims, Winston Rose, and Tony Brown. And that's not even talking about Mabin and McTire sort of rounding out the back of that if they need it for depth. A um, draft pick. And yeah, probably a draft pick. Yeah, you would think at some point. Um, well, I, I want to get to what this does for the draft a little bit, but first I do want to talk about what happened here and sort of the inside of what went on with Drake, the Drake or Patrick move. We, we had been talking about and it, you know, how it was inevitable that the math never made sense for Drake or Patrick to stick around. And that goes back to all the way at the end of the season. When we basically sat around his locker and told him, like, dude, you're, you're gonna get, you're gonna get, like, oh, like you're, you are the classic example of cap casualty, uh, where performance, well, he might not say a performance match, but certainly age and money did not connect to what they were getting production wise out of Drake or Patrick. Really, this happened when they decided to shut him down. When he could have come back, you know, I think that sh- that was the move that s- that showed everybody like they've moved on mentally in twenty in twenty nineteen and for the future. Because if if that's the way they felt about him, where he could have come back and played, but they decided just to shut him down anyway to get a look at other guys, that's when you knew it was over, in in my opinion, and. So we, you knew this was coming, but there was a, a bit of a groundswell in organizationally. I think to is to find out is there a way to make Dre's money work here? Like, is that possible? And we, you know, I think we all knew at the end of the day it really wouldn't be, but this Von Bell move sort of shoved that into the forefront of it's, it's really not. And I think it did come down to this. I mean, it had, to, it had to come down to the discussion of these two contracts, the Drake or Patrick contract, or the Sean Williams contract, which one are you willing to live with? And at that point, you know, it was obvious. I mean, you can't be adding I mean, where, where was Dre even going to play? Where do you even make, where even make space for him? You know, he doesn't make, he doesn't make sense in this collection. Um, so I, I think that's where it became okay, giving up on the idea of maybe still finding some space with Drake or Patrick when you moved on to Von Bell. Um, that was part of it. And we discussed a little bit about the second part of, well, do you just go Sean and Dre? And I think there's enough people that like who Sean is as a player and a guy on that defense to hang on to him and see if, if you can, you know, find a bigger role for him. Um, I think interesting that, you know, for all they've spent and we keep, you know, everyone always calling them cheap and all other stuff, you know, they could have easily just pocketed that Sean Williams cash and no one would have batted an eye or thought twice about it. Yeah. Carry over for next year. Yeah. Carry over, use it for something else if you want, or just hold on to it, whatever. You know, people talk about that all the time. I, I think that's a really interesting example of, you know, and people like people talk about all oh, the Bengals math on free agents and signings and you know, Bengals math would suggest that they should have gotten rid of Sean Williams because they're over. Mm-hmm. And this is before we get into the Andy Dalton conversation. <laughs> OK. And, and what's going to happen next there? And could they actually afford to keep Andy Dalton into the season? Where did that money come from? I don't I don't know how that works. Because um, that's seventeen million, it's a little different. But beyond that, um, I think there is something to that. Them saying, you know what, we got, we can make that money work. We we, we want to just have the have kind of a luxury, kind of a luxury, a little bit to to keep Sean. Yeah, and and I, I don't have a problem with it at all for what the reasons we talked about earlier. Just what what he what he is in that locker room, and, and the the fact that it the safety room is still pretty thin and. Injuries happen in this league. I, I, I just, I think it's a, a good fallback plan. It was, he, he's making half as much as Dre was going to make this year, and, and Dre was on the books for next year too. It just, for me, 
it, it wasn't even so much the, the Von Bell sign. It was when they signed Trey Waynes that, I mean, last year when clean, cleanup day, we, we knew Dre was probably gone when they signed Trey Waynes. That's when the, the flashing lights were all that it, it was definitely over for him. Although they still waited what a week and a half to actually two weeks to make the move official, but it, it just didn't seem like there was going to be any way to fit him in there. Uh, once they, they got Waynes under contract. Yeah, you have some Dre stats, people. I do. I, I, I think I, this I, might be the people. last time we ever tell Dre stats. <laughs> we've done that a lot. Over the course of this podcast, uh, we've done a lot of talking about Dre's stats, typically uh, when it comes to people taking shots at him. Uh, but so maybe the last one, what do you got? Yeah, the, I, people do love to hammer him. And, and I, you know, too, I I tweeted it out, you know, a trivia question on when was his last sack, when was his last pick, and – I knew he didn't have a lot, but I was surprised it was all the way back to, to week 11 of 2017, the last time he had a pick. Um, but I, I looked up, uh, it's called burn percentage. Basically, it's how many times you're targeted versus how many catches you give up. Because you can be the, if you just do how many catches you give up, I mean, you, you could be the, the best corner in the world. And if they don't throw at you, then obviously that number is going to be really low and it's not going to be because you're making plays. It's because you just don't even have chances to make plays. Um, I, I went for the last two years. I didn't want to just limit it to last year because he only played six games, really five and a half. It was about halfway through that, that Baltimore game that he went out. Um, guys that have been targeted at least a hundred times the last two years, um, Drake Kirkpatrick, 102 times targeted, gave up 55 catches for a 53.9% burn rate. That's 15th best in, in the league. So he's, he's right there. Uh, not, I won't even say middle because if you have two corners every team, that's 64. So he's, he's basically in the top 25% in, in that among corners. Um, in, in burn yards, this is where it kind of helps him because he didn't play 10 games last year, but he had the ninth best um yardage he's only given up 751 yards the last two years and then he gave up five touchdowns um that was tied for 15th best what was what was interesting to me about that stat uh burned touchdowns or touchdowns allowed the the top two guys over the last two years with at least 100 targets Darquez Denard and Mackenzie Alexander uh, both only gave up two touchdowns the last two years. Now there was a couple other guys in there too, uh, Trey Davis White, but he was he was a rookie last year, so he only had the one year. Uh, there was five guys that only gave up two, and uh, two of them obviously uh, a coming and a going with the Bengals with with McKenzie Alexander and, and Darquez Denard. But the the Dre ones kind of surprised me a little bit because he's he as much as he gets hammered by by fans on Twitter, he. He he didn't play that badly, and and again, this release was more about a, a cap cut with that huge deal he signed a couple years ago, more so than than how he's performed the last couple years. Yeah, yeah, you know, Drake can't tackle. That's but, it. That's exactly yeah. <laughs> it. And 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 that's and that's part of his who he is. But if you are. This conversation came up a lot in when people were discussing the value of Greedy Williams last year, um, coming out and getting drafted by the Browns in the second round. About what, how much does it matter that a guy basically doesn't want to tackle, right? Like that was the scouting report on Greedy Williams, but it could really cover. And I think to a lesser degree, that's part of the conversation with Drake or Patrick was he can't tackle, he. You know, it's just not going to be part of his game. He can cover it all right. And, and I've pointed out, like, what do, what do you want out of your cornerback? You want a guy who, when the ball's thrown at him, it isn't it's complete the smallest amount of times, right? Like, and and he's been really good at that. And, I mean, you mentioned the two year span. I mean, he was one of the best uh, in twenty in twenty eighteen. And so that's part. That's his game, right? That's who he is. Um, so I, I thought that people, because, but when he would get beat, it would typically be uh, for big plays. Uh, he could get beat over the top. He wasn't picking off a lot of passes, you know, um, but he's usually pretty close in coverage. That's valuable. That's arguably the most valuable part of playing corner and one of the most important positions in this league. Um, you know, he was a first-round pick. He got paid a lot of money. It made him an easy target. 
he he didn't he I would say didn't live up to, you know didn't live up to either of those. If he would have been a third round pick who got paid middle of the road money, he would have been a people he would have liked him a lot more. I would think. I, honestly, I do. I think, but when you it's, get those those two tabs on you, it's it's giant targets and in easy targets because he's because he is an easy target because he's he's exuberant, he's eccentric, he's kind of a crazy weirdo out there, and and people you know he's celebrating when a guy drops a pass and like he's just kind of in your face a little bit and it makes him an even more easy target. And I think that that's part of what happened here. And it started sour. Uh, he was the he was the guy that kind of started the whole first round pick. Or first round injury thing because it was what was it like the night before training camp was to begin when it came out that he he had a, a knee injury an offseason knee injury playing basketball and he was he was going to miss quite a bit of of camp I think he only played five or six games his his rookie year and which is the way they operated back then they had all those first round picks and they kind of used first round picks as as red shirt guys but uh, I think a lot of people soured on him early because of that that non-football injury right before his career started. I will tell you this, and I tweeted this out. It, personally, I really like Dre. Like as a yeah. like, he's a really good dude. Um, he's super in the community. Um, he, he, and he's just he's just a character man. Like he is a total eccentric, like real goofy dude. And I always kind of was drawn to that a little bit. And he, one of my favorite, he, he allowed me to go to his hometown, Alabama with him back in 2015. One of my favorite stories I've ever done. Sam Green and I were at the choir inquire and went down there and he took me around his old neighborhood. And I met his family. They took us in basically and like fed us and all kinds of stuff. And it was just, I met all of his like friends and family and people that have known him and they all, you know, the stories they would tell about how much, how genuine of a down to earth guy he was, how much he cared about giving back. When I mean, he built, he built a church for his dad to teach and he built like a YMCA down there. He like gave tons of money to his old high school. He'd go back there every year and do camps for them and stuff like that. He really cared about that. And he cared about the, he, he really was proud of embracing Cincinnati too. He bought a place here, you know, not soon after. He wanted to be here. He he would talk about that all the time, about how much he really wanted to be here. He really loved being a Bengal and appreciated this place and had passion about that. And you know what? He had he had a, his fair share of shortcomings and certainly was no shot, not shy on confidence. Um, <laughs> and and all like I said, also made him an easy target. But personally, um, you know, I always thought he was a really easy guy to like and I thought and I thought maybe some people thought it was an act I, I really thought he was a, a, a genuine a genuine dude who really did uh care about other people yeah I, I agree wholeheartedly and uh my favorite thing of Dre over the years is you, you get in the locker room you get these conversations of who's better Kobe or LeBron and uh Jeff Hobson from Bengals.com would always go Bill Russell and Dre had this great impersonation of uh, old time basketball player guys, and he would call Pops, and he would call him Bill Russell, yeah. and, and just and ha- just hammer him relentlessly about that. So that that was always that was one of, that is one of the things I'll miss most is he had a, a great sense of humor, even when things weren't going well. He could separate life and football, and he was just a guy that you could go up and just shoot the breeze with it. You didn't have to pull out your notebook or your recorder and do an official interview. He was, he was just always there to kind of chat and hang out. So that's, uh, that's kind of, by the way, Drake or Patrick with an epic Instagram story on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if any of y'all follow him on Instagram, but it's basically his story on, uh, Monday night. He was, I don't know if he was taking the, the, the news well or poorly. But it was just four long Instagram, like, story clips, videos of him just, I assume, somebody behind the camera just ripping a hookah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was phenomenal. So shout out on that one. Uh, That's how you go out. (laughs) Hey, there's no proof. We don't know who was behind that camera. Nobody knows anything. Right. Nobody knows who that was, what they were doing. And we don't know what was in the hookah. Yeah, sure. That's your, it's just your stand, your standard way that you smoke tobacco if you, if you like cigarettes. Yeah. You just cherry <laughs> pipe tobacco. <laughs> oh man. Uh, all right. But I do want to take 
a second. We're going to uh, dive a little bit into that 25-man defensive roster and a little ode to Tyler Eifert. Um, but before we do that, I do want to mention something. And we've across the athletics podcast, uh, we've kind of been giving shout-outs to local businesses that you should support, um, and, and some of the stuff that they're doing and how important they are. Is so many small local small businesses, restaurants, things like that um, are, are been hit so hard. Um, by the coronavirus one that's really close to me people know that people know how much i love 50 west and think their beer is delicious and the community they create over there is just incredible i've worked with them for a long time they've been sponsors of all podcasts i've been at and really you know people know optimistic bobby who owns the place uh we have on the show all the time I want to shout out 50 West. So I, I've, I've hosted the 50 West punch out, which is their big brewers versus brewers boxing event where they literally have people that work at all the different breweries around town, uh, decide they're going to enter somebody and to come in an actual sanctioned boxing night. Uh, they're doing their fifth one is coming up this year. It is a massive event. I mean, it is, they sell it out beyond sell out every year. I mean, it is massive. This year, there it's on July 11th. They're you know hoping that everything will be cleared up and they can do this by then. Everybody will be on the other side of it, and they are going to give all proceeds, not portion. Every dime is going to go to support people that work in the hospitality industry um, in Cincinnati and in the fit, in the community of, of all these these workers, servers, bartenders, you name it, that are affected by this. All these breweries and restaurants all around town, and I just think that is freaking awesome and it's a hundred percent what you know bobby and everybody at 50 west has always been about they've always been about the community they create and understanding that that's what it's about uh, more so than the beer or any of that even and i just i want to give them a huge shout out for what they're doing and hopefully we'll be able to do and i know i will be there front and center hosting um and and cannot wait to do it because it's going to be a cool night so shout out to optimistic bobby everybody at 50 west um, for what they do. And if you can find, if you, if you find a way to support them, whether it be, uh, go pick up some beers from them or, or whatever, uh, see it on, if you want to order it up when you're, if you're doing your Kroger pickup, uh, throw some 50 West in there, um, and, and certainly try to get out to the punch out when we all come out on the other side of this thing, hopefully. So anyway, shout out to Bobby and 50 West. Um, let's, let's, Oda, speaking of like just drinking beers and being a good dude, let's talk about Tyler Eifert. <laughs> like you gotta love, I you know Tyler Eifert signs at Jacksonville. Um, good for him. Jack, uh, pretty hefty contract. Huge, yeah, big. Uh, did not see that coming. I am really happy for Tyler Eifert. I, I think people it, like I can hear the eye rolling happening from people as they listen to me now because this is going to be like the forty eighth time in the last four years I've talked about this. Nobody has been more hosed by the fifth year option and all the other stuff that goes against first round picks than Tyler Eifert never was really been able to collect despite playing really well, but being injury prone and having to suck up five years of being under team control. Um, I went back to double check on it. Never made more than $5 million in a single season in any year of his career. Um, now don't don't feel bad for him. He's already made, he's made twenty one mil, good living. That'll that'll, that'll set you. Uh, but for a guy for what what people are getting, and you know what he would have gotten had he been able to sign a deal earlier, um, and, and not had to stick around that long and let his body take all the hits would have been so significantly different. Really happy to see Tyler Eifert. It was two years. What was it, like fifteen sixteen. So yeah, 15 I think and a half million. I'm sure yeah. there's some, I'm sure there's some, you know, out, maybe there's an out, whatever it is, but really happy to see Tyler Eifert play a full year, all 16 games, get a nice deal, go play for Jay Gruden. Good for him. Really happy for Tyler. Um, who was, I always admired here and I told this story. Um, I don't know. I think I put, I was in, uh, it was in Twib last week. Uh, I, I, people were asking about Eifert and what I remember most will be the reaction of his teammates in the locker room in Atlanta when he, the night, the game that he went out with the dislocated ankle or whatever it was on the cart and 
players like his teammates crying talking about it. Like it just it moved them to tears because they had seen how far he had come and how much he cared about his rehab and how much he loved being out there with everybody and and what was ha- and and just knew how good of a guy he was and how he always did it the right way and always had a good attitude about it and to see him go off like that was really tough on guys and that to me showed you what he meant to that locker room and to those he was close with in there and that's that's honestly will always be my lasting memory is how he responded to adversity and how much his teammates respected that yeah i remember geo had a hard time even getting through his interview he was he was so shook by that and and they were all thinking what we were thinking at the time was not oh no he's gonna go through rehab again it was that he's never gonna play football again It, it was it was so bad and you had everybody had to doubt whether Tyler would even want to put himself through that again. It just, it felt like that was the end. And, uh, it wasn't, of course. He, he came back, he went through it one more time. And, you know, the, of course it figures that the year that he plays all 16 games was when he had the least amount of incentives on a deal. And so even there, didn't really cash in last year. So I do, I, I, I hope things go well for him in Jacksonville. And, uh, important quick note, the, uh, the Jaguars play at Paul Brown Stadium this year. Assuming we get a full season, so it'll it'll good be good to see Tyler come back for a game. Absolutely, I look forward to having him on the conference call if we can get him on a conference call. It'll be that'll be fun. Yeah, I, I talk about. I I fully expect there to be an offshore fishing boat named <laughs> Mullet Party, or something to that effect coming in our near future. I, I look forward to that. Uh, all right, well, mullets and mullets. <laughs> Isn't there a fish called a mullet? <laughs> Is there? I think there is. The mullet fish? Yeah. You would know, Jay. I wouldn't know. I am not a fishing fan, but, uh, <laughs> that sounds familiar. I'll have to, I'll have to fact check that after the show. Fact check. Uh, all right. Before we get out, cause we, uh, promised we would, we've got, I want to, let's run through who we think will be the 25 players on the defensive roster. And then we got to run past her boot. Uh, all right. Here's my, here's my shot at it. So. Under the assumption you've got nine or ten defensive linemen, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, DJ Reader, Sam Hubbard, your starters, Carl Lawson, Josh Tupo, uh, the next up in the rotation. Uh, there's your, there's six. I anticipate some sort of defensive end addition. I mentioned that. I mean, I, I don't know. Now that may could be end up being a draft pick. Uh, it could end up being. Someone in free agency, it could be a, a cap cut. I don't know. R- right now, you got Andrew Brown there. Maybe he plays up in training camp, takes the next step, and, and, and he's part of that. Um, but kind of a little bit of a hole there. So I'm gonna. I just have it in as an addition. Glasgow, Ryan Glasgow, Brown, Wren. So out of those, I mean, I think, I think I you know take one of those guys out. Maybe maybe Ryan Glasgow doesn't make it out of that group. Um, but it's a sort of, I think that's, I think that's my group at defensive line. Well, I mean, that's still just nine, right? With the four starters and then Andrew Brown, Tupo, Glasgow, Lawson, and Wren. That gives you nine. Yeah. Yeah. So like 10, if you could keep them all potentially and go, and go 10. And well, I was, I'm only counting nine, four starters and then those five backups. And then, and then if you draft a guy, then that would be your 10th. I have, yeah, I'm counting the addition. Okay, okay. I'm counting the addition as that being the 10th. Someone's going to show up there, whether it is a draft yeah. pick or – don't forget, important to note, by the way, and, and we probably haven't done it enough, really important to note, the first three weeks of the season, Bengals have number one waiver wire, mm-hmm. okay? Um, teams can really use that to their advantage and, you know, sort of the best of the scrap heap, best of the cap casualty that can happen um, – after training camp, before or after the first or second week, whatever it is, there's a, there's a lot of guys that come out there that could probably upgrade you at at a, at a position like that. So keep that in mind too when you're talking about that, and when you're talking about linebacker, which is pretty wide open still. You know, Josh Bynes, Jermaine Pratt, Josh Bynes, Jermaine Pratt. <laughs> yep, uh, that's it. <laughs> that's where. <laughs> so I mean, you're gonna have a draft pick. At least one. I would argue probably two. Um, I think there's going to be... A lot of UFAs. Be, yeah, UFAs. 
Evans and Nickerson, I suppose, will be in the building and, and trying to prove something one last shot. Um, that could be where your veteran addition comes from, sort of like we saw last year. You know, we saw a number of linebackers get let go that the Bengals didn't get last year that they could have um, during that time period because they weren't high enough up. So I, I think that at the end of the day, that's probably what happens there. Um, but your starters would be Bynes, Pratt, and draft pick, I would think. Mm-hmm. With depending on the down, and then and then you start working Sean Williams in there in certain situations. In in true passing sub packages, Sean Williams is down there um, playing as a third safety slash linebacker. Um, do you agree with that? Yeah, um, I, I I don't know. I, I still wonder if Jordan Evans finds a way through special teams to to get on the the fifty three. But we've talked about this before. Last year when they were going through all the problems they had and he couldn't get on the field last year. Uh, it's going to be a, a better group this year. And it just feels like maybe his, his time is up here. And, and like you said, him and Hardy Nickerson will be around through camp, but I, I don't see either one of those guys making the 53. And we, we've talked about it before the advantage of, of coaching at the senior bowl where, yeah, you, you, you see senior bowl teams draft guys from the senior bowl but where it really could pay off is in the the undrafted free agent guys and and maybe they find a a surprise guy to make the 53 there after the after the seventh round of the draft is over tweeted this out i can't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago man the more restrictions that get put on this draft and this draft not moving the more valuable that senior bowl coaching was i mean it just continues to be one where not and again, not as much for the guys that they that you will take, but the guys you know that you shouldn't take. Mm-hmm. You know that stuff that you get out of those top thirty visits, and, and and all you know that that really is invaluable with so many of those prospects to know. Man, you know he can play, but man, he was a real you know insert word here uh, <laughs> in Mobile. Or man, this guy really cares about it and gets it and whatever. Um, I think there's probably more of the the former than the latter, uh, but you, both very important uh, to uh, to hit on a higher percentage. I'll be curious to see how many Senior Bowl guys they take. Um, uh, so we, we we already kind of went through the cornerback room, but if, if for me today, uh, Trey Waynes, William Jackson, Mackenzie Alexander, Darius Phillips, Lashawn Sims, and I'll say I'll say Winston Rose for fun over Tony Brown. I think that's probably a competition for that last spot six corners and then Von Bell, Jesse Bates, Sean Williams, and Brandon Wilson is your four safeties. Yeah. Um, that's 10. That's probably about what you would expect there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean really a lot still as much as you talk about what they've done, still the linebacker room, I think <laughs> two guys and one can only play on one really only plays on two downs. So that's still a thing. Uh, let's run past your boot and get out of here. Um, you got, you have one, right, Jay? Yeah, uh, timing one, and it's not, it's, it's two thirds of a Bengals one, but what do you think will happen first? Uh, the, the decision will be made on Andy Dalton, whether he's cut or traded. Uh, the Bengals have their first organized team practice, whether that's OTAs or mini camp or training camp, whenever this virus thing ends, the first time the team is out on the field together, or option three, Reds opening day. What happens first? I I am of the opinion that the draft will shake out the Andy Dalton situation. I I know that there's ideas out there that they could hold on to Andy Dalton through next season. I just don't know how that works financially for them. Um, I, I had someone would have to explain that to me, and maybe I'm not seeing something. Um, I just I just don't know how that works for them. So I I that I will run with Dalton first. Because I think opening day will – I don't know. I don't know. I mean, who knows? I, I know. I'll it's say tough. July. Um, So that Dalton first run, pass on opening day, and I, I, I mean the first practice, that ain't going to be – you know, I, we're off We're off into September at that point if that. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll boot. I'll boot organized practice. Yeah, we talked about how OTAs are probably wiped out anyhow, so you'd be looking at the very first, uh, 
practice would be training camp. That'd be the last Friday in July. Um, so that, that one seems like a, a sure boot. The only thing I, the question I have with Andy Dalton is if he's traded, yeah, that's going to happen probably during the draft. You get through the draft, the trade options dry up. Um, and, and then it comes down to when the timing of when they would cut him. But I, I agree with you. I think that'll be the first one. I'll run with Dalton. Uh, I'll, I'll pass on Red's opening day and I'll, I'll boot the first practice. I mean, the other interesting thing about those two of those things, and that is if you end up with some sort of truncated training camp or quick run up where you haven't had any on field time with a rookie quarterback, you know, having Andy Dalton to be able to step into this mm-hmm. offense and play right away does have an advantage to it. Um, rather than shove Joe Burrow in there. I, I would agree with that. Um, and he would have more valuable if other teams' quarterbacks get hurt, where you could trade him off and move on to Joe Burrow. I would agree with that as well. I just need someone to explain to me how they make that work financially. And, and, yeah. what, and, and maybe they have answers to that, and, and I just don't know them. But, um, I, 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 you know, you can see that landscape out there where, man, you're asking a rookie quarterback to come in with no offseason program. And potentially, uh, who knows how long of a training camp, and potentially fewer preseason games. You know that could be asking a lot of a rookie, even a guy who has you know some big time experience like Joe Burrow. Well, you have Andy Dalton who could help maybe help ease that, and then you could really try to trade him to some place that needs him. I, I get it. I just need to know what that looks like. All right, are we are we good, Jay? Yeah, I was just gonna say it's really kind of ironic that the bookmark there of the last person to do that to come in as a rookie quarterback with no offseason was Andy Dalton. So that the starting, the beginning of his career, it's gonna be this same truncated offseason. But yep. we'll see. I just don't, I don't see where, how the money works either. I'm with you on that. Yeah. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next week unless something crazy happens and the way this offseason is going and going. Who knows? Maybe we'll be back before that with an emergency pod. But anyway, thanks everybody for listening to hear that podcast, Brown. Have a good one, everybody.